All right. Um, we are still in chapter seven, <laughs> um, section three of the confession. We are still going through this one phrase, really. Um, but again, I will open up by reading that section uh, of the confession. <clears throat> so it says, This covenant, talking about the covenant of grace, is revealed in the gospel. It was revealed, first of all, to Adam in the promise of salvation through the seed of the woman. After that, it was revealed step by step, and that's where we're really focusing, until the full revelation of it was completed in the New Testament. This covenant is based on the eternal covenant transaction between the Father and the Son concerning the redemption of the elect. Only through the grace of this covenant have those saved from among the descendants of fallen Adam obtained life and blessed immortality. Humanity is now utterly incapable of being accepted by God on the same terms on which Adam was accepted in his state of innocence. So this evening we come to the final major Old Testament covenant, the Davidic covenant. As we've discussed over the past several weeks, God gave a covenant to Abraham, which set apart his physical descendants as a nation. The Mosaic covenant gave that same people, the exact same group of people, a civil code to govern them, but it did not in itself have a covenant head. This was changed by the institution of God's covenant with David. Micah and Samuel Renahan write, quote, the Davidic covenant brings all the Abrahamic promises to consummation and focuses the Mosaic covenant into one person. It was under the line of David, specifically Solomon, that at last the nation of Israel reached the fulfillment of being the Abrahamic people ruling all of the Abrahamic land under Abrahamic, specifically Judean, kings. End quote. So we will begin by looking at the historical context of the Davidic covenant. First of all, the Davidic covenant was made in the context of what we just said, the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. Abraham's covenant specifies the nation and its land. The covenant through Moses specifies the law with its blessings for obedience and curses for rebellion. In other words, this is how you receive the land and the blessings that uh, come to you therein. And this is how you lose the blessings and then, if you don't repent, eventually the land. Second, there were several centuries between Israel taking possession of the land and the institution of the monarchy. So it wasn't, well, Joshua led the people in and they conquered, now let's set up a king. That's not how it went down. Uh, we see this refrain repeated throughout the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Of course, Judges is a sad, cyclical story of Israel taking the land in obedience, rebelling against God, and then being punished through the wicked nations that surrounded them, repentance and deliverance, and then the slide back into apostasy, and so on and so forth, over and over and over again. 
Third, things did not improve much when Israel finally did get a king. We've read how Israel's kings were to have a specific function as the federal head and civil authority in the kingdom. We read that passage, I believe it was last week, if not last week, the week before, in the context of the Mosaic Covenant, where it was allowed that there would be a king. And in fact, I think it was looking forward and predicting there would be a king. Um, it did not, in and of itself, uh, ordain that king, or, or, or ordain who would be that king, I should say. But it certainly was anticipating that there would be a king. Because it doesn't say if you decide to make a king. It says when you make a king. So, nevertheless, they did not have a king in, uh, in that way uh, at first. And then when they finally did get a king, um, it wasn't so great. Uh, um, the king was not to usurp other functions in their role. Uh, the, the king had a specific function, a civil function, and a federal head function. But the king was not to be priest or prophet as king. Now, it could be the case that a king, I suppose, could serve another function as an individual, but the king as such, no. Um, so, uh, what I really want us to do to begin with is I want us to see how it came about that Israel actually made a king for themselves and see how that went. So, to uh, begin with, we're going to look at the anointing of Saul to become the first king of Israel. So this is going to be coming to begin with from 1 Samuel chapter 8. And this is just where there was a decision made to have a king. And then um, after we read chapter 8, we're going to flip over to chapter 10. And we'll begin reading in verse 17. So I'll just go ahead and tell you that if you want to put a marker there. <clears throat> so 1 Samuel chapter 8. And remember the context here that Israel has judges. They do not have kings. And the judge is Samuel at this point. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So they were not just justices. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us. And so far we're good, but here's where it goes bad. Like all the nations. Remember, Israel was to be a holy people. A holy nation. Not like the surrounding nations. But they say, rightly they say, Oh, Samuel, your sons are perverting justice, but their solution is the problem. 
Appoint for us a king like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. See, this is now being associated with idolatry. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you, who will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So this is about making a name for ourselves. Remember the Tower of Babylon? Making a name for ourselves. This never turns out well. <laughs> and when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Now this story is a lot longer, but I'm not going to read the entire thing because it spans two chapters. I'm just going to read this little snippet of it. Uh, so we're flipping over to chapter 10, starting in verse 17, and going through verse 25. It says, Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But, then, but when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller 
than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, in other words, the constitution, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. So there we have the first king has now been anointed and appointed. Saul is king. Now let's see how this turns out. God told him how it would turn out. Let's see how it actually turns out. This is a king who is appealing to the eyes. He's huge in stature. He looks fearsome uh, according to the eyes. And he hides in the package. And he hides in the package. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, actually, if you and I'm not going to read all of this because it's too much to read for the specific study we're doing. But if you read about Saul, hiding was kind of his thing, really. <laughs> um, and I think that that's kind of referenced. Uh, I think that's kind of referenced in, in part of one of the passages we're going to read. Um, maybe indirectly, but I still think it, it is referenced. So, but first, let's see here. So we talked about he is appointed to be king which has a certain functionality to it. Yes, it has the function of federal head, and it has the function of civil authority. And that is all. Nothing else. Okay? Well, in 1 Samuel 13, Saul fails to maintain his lane. Um, we're looking at chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. It says, Saul was 40 years old when he began to, re to reign, and he reigned, um, I think it says, uh, 40 and 2 years over Israel. Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. There's a textual variant there, by the way. That's why I was pausing, because I was trying to see what is actually supposed to be said there. Um, just let me point that out. Where are you reading from? This is 1 Samuel chapter 13, yeah. verse 1. That was just verse 1. I don't even get close to that. Just hang on to two two verse 2. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's why I do want you to know there is a textual variant. Yeah. Um, so Forty uh, minus thirty. Well, it says thirty-two. Yeah, okay, 30 and that's probably correct. That's probably correct. Um, that's why I'm pointing it out because I, I knew that it might be different. So that it's, that's just kind of a side note. <laughs> it's not really talking Read to the main point. Read Huh? Read it. So what I've actually got here, I'm actually having to fill in a number. So I've got an ESV. Alright? It says Saul was blank years old. And then it explains the number is lacking in Hebrew and Septuagint. So I'm having to fill in from below in my notes. It's not actually in the text that I've got. Okay? That's why I'm telling you it's a textual variant. So it could vary depending on translation you got. Okay. <laughs> Mine says he reigned one year, and then Mine says he reigned for one year when he had reigned two years, and then yeah, when he reigned for two years. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. Okay. Well, either way, either way that, yeah. that's verse one. 
<laughs> so then it says, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan, which of course is Saul's son, in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops, like the sand of the seashore in multitude. So we got a big army here. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So things are not looking good. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. So here Saul usurps the authority, the functionality of a priest. But the priesthood was to be Levitical. And Saul was a Benjamite. So he was not authorized as a priest. And therefore, just as it was not pleasing... For Nadab and Abihu to do what they did. This was also not pleasing to the Lord. It violated the regulative principle of worship. Um, let me check something real quick before we move on. And yet it appears God had a plan. I just said a place to make it. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read you this note here. For the textual variant, this is a side note, but this is what I've got in my notes here. Preservation of this verse in the manuscript tradition has some defect, since as it stands, the Hebrew says that Saul was one year old when he began to rule, but Saul was already a soldier. Saul probably reigned about 20 years, and the number 40 in Acts 13.21 would be a round figure, meaning a long time. So... So complete guesses. That is a yes. That is a side note. Uh, let's let's flip over now to chapter fourteen. 
So this is where we first see Saul usurping authority that is not his. Okay? Um, we're going to pick up now. Um, I, I, yes, it is proper to say Saul was rejected here, but now he is finally rejected in this passage we're about to read. So we're going to pick up in the last verse in chapter 14, so verse 52. And we're going to read through chapter 15, verse 35. <clears throat> so 1 Samuel 14:52, and then going through 15:35. It says, There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. That's the verse I was referring to where I think it implies, yeah, I won't let somebody else do my fighting for me. Yeah, <laughs> then I'm going to take the glory. He's right? He's a real man. Right, exactly. So he, uh, maybe he was cunning in a way. He's a, he's a anti-gun, modern day anti-gun uh, proponent. <laughs> he's protected right. by everybody with a gun while he's saying... Yeah. Right. Don't need don't need they, they slay all these people on his behalf, and then yeah, yeah Saul, Saul's on such a great team. Yeah. All right. Well, well, the uh, continuing on in the text, it says, "And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts: I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up." Out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Kill everything. <laughs> that just to sum up, kill everything that moves and breathes. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Tilaim, two hundred thousand men on foot, and ten thousand men of Judah, and Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. So let me pause right there just to point this out. So he has usurped authority that wasn't his and he has misused authority that was his. And God didn't make a mistake, right? What? God didn't make a mistake. Oh no, this was the people's king. Yes, remember. That, <laughs> that has to be clarified. Yes, this was the people's king. Yes, because yes. Obviously, you know, like all other this nations. was the king who was like the king of the nations. Of all yes. other nations. Yes. yes. 
All right, the text continues. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. See how he sneaks that in? Oh, well, we're, we're using this for godly purposes. It sounds so much like modern Absolutely. modern church. I was thinking that to try to convince God that he was wrong in what he wanted. Look, we're doing this for you. Yeah, yeah. And I think of the Corbin rule. I think of the Corbin rule with that because uh, this is we're not going to take care of our parents. We're not going to honor our father and mother because we're going to take our uh, treasure and we're going to devote it to God. But didn't Saul say the Lord, your God? Not yes. our God, yeah. your God. Yes. All of a sudden, he's not my God anymore. Well, he set up a monument to himself. Also, I never thought about until just then the same thing Cain did. Yeah. Yes. You won't take my offering. Now he's yeah. mad about it. Right. He's mad. Yep. So the, text, so the text then continues. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So this wasn't my fault. Me, the one that God put in charge. This was the people I'm supposed to be in charge of's fault. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Here he finally understands. Okay, yeah, I sinned. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. The king obeyed their voice. He was afraid of them. Well, I don't even necessarily think it was just that he was afraid of them. I think it, there was that aspect, but I think he also wanted to please them. He wanted to please them because he's making a name for himself. This is the king that we just read set up a monument for himself. So I am the man of the people, and therefore I must give the people what they want. Right? Don't you think he also hides there? Hides there in 
you know, it's those people's fault. Yeah, that's what he that's what he was trying to do there to deflect blame. Yeah, it wasn't my fault. They just they wouldn't do what they were told. It was, it was them. It was awful people. Do what? It's Trump's fault. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. I don't have to take Slightly. <laughs> Um, this isn't my fault. That's the people that you gave me's fault. says, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also, the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. <clears throat> so then also, and I'm not going to read any of these passages because I think this is pretty well known, but so I'll just say it, mention it in passing, and if you want to read it yourself, just read this book, 1 Samuel. Um, but... Saul then finds out who this neighbor is, David, and he then persecutes David until he dies. So there you have the context, uh, or at least that portion of the context. And then finally, there's the prospect of consummation. Sam Renahan states on this particular point, quote, The Mosaic Covenant put before the eyes of the people a prospect of consummation. They would enter the land and experience rest uh, from their enemies. That is the idyllic picture that the Abrahamic Covenant promises. But more importantly, what really brings the Israelite kingdom into its complete and consummate stage is when God makes His name to dwell in a particular place. In other words, when there is an established temple of God's presence and blessing in a particular place, then the kingdom will be consummated. The people of God and the land of God with the presence and blessing of God is what Israel is called to be through its covenants. End quote. And I do have a passage. Uh, Renahan cites this. I do want us to read this to back up the claim that he makes. Deuteronomy chapter 12. So, of course, the, the, um, the claim here is consummation, that this, this is what consummation looks like. So Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 8 through 12. 
It says, You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes, like in the time of the judges. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around, so we have peace, so that you live in safety, then the place, the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, and the Levite that is within your towns, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. So there was to be a specific place within the Holy Land that God's presence would be manifest. And that is where the people would come to worship. Okay? So all of that, and now we have the context. <laughs> um, Alright, so the context having been established, I don't know if we'll get further than this or not, but let's, uh, let's at least try to look at this now. Let's look at the establishment of the Davidic covenant, and we'll move to its component parts, but given what time it is, that'll probably have to wait uh, for next week. But the establishment of the covenant is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So, just to bring you up to speed, David is now the king. And he is the king of a unified um, kingdom. Uh, upon the death of Saul, there was a division. Judah made David king, but the rest of Israel went for Saul's son. And that son was murdered, and the kingdom all was unified under David after that point. David did not have him murdered, but nevertheless he was murdered. Um, so then now the, the kingdom is established firmly in David's control. The entirety of the nation of Israel. So then in 2 Samuel chapter 7 it says, Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. See how the different way that God's addressing Saul versus David? Um, Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? So what's going on here is that David sees, I have this fancy, nice house, and the ark of the Lord is just in this tent. 
So what we have is the opposite of what we had with Saul, where I'm not trying to build up my name. I'm actually bothered that my status appears as better than God's. So I'm going to build a house for the Lord because David is God's servant. So he says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise, and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, but one nation on earth, whom God went to redeem, to be his people? making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken and your name will be magnified forever. See, he's saying here, all of the glory is going to God. Your name will be magnified forever. Saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. 
And now, O Lord God, you are God. And your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Quite a contrast between David and Saul. Uh, and actually, I, I noticed something that I didn't even notice in, when I was studying, but since Brian pointed out Saul saying, your God, David's referring to him as my God. And I am his servant. And he's not building monuments for himself. He's trying to, as it were, build monuments for the Lord, figuratively. Um, <clears throat> all right. Well, given what time it is, yeah, I'm not going to try to go into the components yet. We'll do that next week, Lord willing. Uh, do we have any comments, discussions, questions, pushback, anything? We'll, uh, we'll try to pick this up next week, Lord willing, and try to dissect the components of the Davidic covenant, and then we will be done with the Old Testament covenants. Let's pray. Father, it's very difficult to follow that prayer uh, that we just read from David, but we just add to it and, and we thank you that you have established David's house forever. That you did fulfill your promise and that there was a son of David that came. And a son of David who has conquered more than just earthly enemies, more than just nations, but one who has conquered sin and one who has conquered death and one who has done these things for his people us we thank you for that son of David Jesus Christ our Lord and I pray that you would help us to rejoice in the fulfillment of these promises and the continuing fulfillment of these promises and we pray it in Christ's name Amen